welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 5th of July 2015, entitled, On the Winning Side. And the Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 25. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. To stand to honour the reading of God's Word, I invite you to do so as we read beginning in Acts chapter 12 and verse 1. <clears throat> now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. When he apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Peter would have brought him, I mean, when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. Behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came to the iron gate that leadeth into the city, which opened to them of his own accord, and they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. When Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel, and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod, and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. When he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. When she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. They said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go, show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Now, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea 
and their abode. Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, but they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus the king's chamberlain their friend, desired peace, because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, set upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that this is just another account in your word. Lord, of how that you yourself are there to deliver your children from whatever this world might bring against them. Now, Lord, as we take this time this morning to look into your word, Lord, this preacher fully realizes, Lord, that without you we have no hope this morning. We have no hope of gaining anything, of hearing anything that will be of lasting consequence. Lord, we have no hope of our hearts being stirred. But Lord, we pray that you would see fit to speak to our hearts and help us, Lord. Help us that we, Lord, would be open to that which you have for us. Speak to our hearts as only you can. May we respond as only we can for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Keeping that passage in mind, I'd like to read a familiar passage from Ephesians chapter 6, which is instruction to each and every one of us today. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Back in chapter 1, still in Ephesians Verse 15, the Bible says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe 
according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. There are many other places that we could turn this morning, but... We're reminded in these passages in Ephesians and we're reminded by the account of what was taking place there in Jerusalem that there is a battle raging. It's raging literally throughout the universe. It's raging on every front. This world has seen some pretty bad wars. It's seen wars were almost... Everybody on earth were involved in some way or another, and yet there is none to compare to the battle that rages around us. There is none so inclusive as the one that is at hand. And of course, on the one hand, we have the one that we've been reading about, God himself. We have his holy angels, which we see at work in this account. We have his chosen saints who he is using and who he is giving instruction to. And on the other hand, we have Satan. Not a holy angel, but a fallen angel. We have the demonic forces of hell, which was a third of those angels that was cast out with him when he was cast out. We have not the chosen saints, but we have fallen man in all of his sinfulness. The battle is raging. Every human being alive is in this battle. They are involved. They are on one side of this battle or the other. There is no neutral ground. Sometimes the enemy would like to think that you could take a neutral ground and just not make a choice and not be involved. It's not possible. It's a life in the pits of hell. The battle is real indeed, and the battle involves you today. It began on that fateful day when Lucifer himself rebelled against God and was cast from heaven along with the third of the host, which became that demonic force. From that moment until this that we sit here this morning, war has raged between these two forces. God and his angelic host, Satan and his host of demons. From the very first man, Adam, and his wife there in the garden until the very last that will ever breathe, every human being has been on one side of the other. Every human being has a choice to make as to which side they choose to be on. Adam and Eve, they were enticed by Satan himself. Eve being deceived and Adam himself making choice 
to rebel against God and the instructions that he had given them. They took of the forbidden fruit because obviously they chose to do so. In man's fallen, sinful state, it becomes his nature. Understand this. This is a dark side that we must all see of ourselves. It becomes man's nature to fight against God, to be in defiance of God, sometimes by even deceiving our own selves. You see, it's only through God's glorious, magnificent, indescribable grace that we can even be enlightened, that we can even come to recognize and realize the fact, hey, I'm on the wrong side of this battle. <laughs> to begin to realize who it is that you're fighting alongside of and who it is you're fighting against. And it's only by that same grace that we are given the opportunity because to start with, we're all on the wrong side. But by God's grace, we can change sides and we can become part of the winning side. God gives you that choice through our Lord Jesus Christ. We find that when that change takes place, do not even begin to believe or contemplate that Satan just throws up his hands and goes away. Okay, nothing else I can do with this one. Oh, he doesn't relinquish control easily. <laughs> he will continue to try to grapple. He'll play with your mind. He'll play with your flesh and your desires. He'll do anything that he can to destroy you. But through the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be released from the destructive power, from the kingdom of darkness that will ultimately, along with everyone that's part of it, face total destruction at the hand of God, you can be transformed. You can be adopted into the family of God. You can become part of his kingdom. And rather than facing that destruction that is sure, live for all of eternity in the kingdom of love and light. It is part of man's nature to pit himself against God, to rebel, to resist. But in actual fact, though it may seem so good, it is nothing but absolute Folly, foolishness to fight against God. <laughs> it's a fight that cannot be won. You see, I've never met, maybe there's some out there that somehow have this desire of destruction, but most people don't like being on the losing side. You know, we start from very, very young children. We want to win. We want to be the champion. We want to come out on top. We find that, that it begins to extend through life with many things that we do, whether it be athletics or whether it be the workplace or whether it be at school. We prefer being on the winning side than the losing side. 
But of course, one of the places that carries through to its ultimate is when it's in a battle. <laughs> Nobody fights a battle to lose. If you wanted to lose, you wouldn't go into battle at all in the first place. Nobody fights a battle wanting to lose. We want to be on the winning side. Solomon, wisest man that ever lived, he realized in Proverbs chapter 21, we find in verse 30, he says, There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. <laughs> There's no hope. There's no chance. There's no way that you can ever come up against him. You see, the world around us, it'll often recognize and even hail them and hold them in high regard, those that, that stand up and fight against God. <laughs> they're so wise, they're so powerful. When in reality, they do not recognize their own foolishness. History reveals it. I could give you a list this morning. Frederick Nietzsche, the 19th century German philosopher, recognized by this world to be a man of such phenomenal intelligence. He despised Christianity. <laughs> he thought it was for a bunch of religious weaklings. His fight against God finally pushed him to the brink to where this man that was held in such high regard spent his last years in an insane asylum because he lost his mind. Sinclair Lewis, 1930, winner of the Nobel Prize, so sought after by man, a prize recognizing someone for their outstanding achievements. Sinclair Lewis used his writings, though his Name is well known to write against God, to openly mock God. In his novel, Elmer Gantry, his leading character was supposed to be an evangelist that was an alcoholic and a fornicator. Are there some of those? Yes, but not God's true evangelist. Sadly, there are. But in fact, this man himself one that ended up dying a hopeless alcoholic in a clinic near Rome after spending his life mocking. Very few people that have studied literature at all would not recognize the name Ernest Hemingway, another Nobel Prize winner, a Nobel Prize winner that considered himself to be living proof that one could successfully fight God. He openly boasted of fighting revolutions, of tumbling women, of leading a life of sin with absolutely no apparent consequences. Look at the life that I'm living. God won't do anything about it. I can do as I choose. He ended by putting a shotgun to his head and taking his own life, his battle against God. Oh, the list could go on. I'm saying 
These are those just like we're reading about here. You see, Scripture reveals to us throughout Scripture the accounts of those who tried in vain to battle against God. Many of those in this world's eyes held positions of great power and esteem and position just like these men that we've mentioned in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12 says, Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. Who has done all that? Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor hath taught him? With whom took he counsel. <laughs> and who instructed him? Who has enough wisdom to show God anything, to teach God anything? Who? Who has taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. The world around us, we find that Though they may see power, they may see it in all of these places. The question that the prophet is asking here, who's ever shown God anything? Who's ever taught him anything? Who's ever got the upper hand of God? In our account, in our reading today, in Acts chapter 12, you see there's another one here that we're reading about that had these same kind of thoughts. The scripture says, now about that time. What time? Well, we just finished reading in the chapter before of a time of when great dearth and great famine, a lot of things were going wrong economically. People were suffering. People didn't have the things that they needed now about that time when things were so bad, when the economy had turned down, when people didn't have the food to eat, about that time, Herod the king, another one of those that chose to fight against God. Matter of fact, he was part of a family of rulers that had made that choice to fight against God not even learning, not recognizing the folly of even his own family members that had gone before him. You see, the Herod here that's speaking of in chapter 12 is Herod Agrippa I. He reigned from about A.D. 37 to A.D. 44 after the Lord Jesus Christ had died on that cross and rose the third day. He's actually the grandson 
of that bloodthirsty Herod the Great that was responsible for the slaughter of all those young male children after the birth of Jesus Christ. This is his grandson here. It's actually his son that one day that the Apostle Paul would stand before that would be his judge. What is he trying to do here? He's appealing to the populace. He's eager to sure up his standing with Rome, who is still the dominating power, and whom he had actually been on some shaky ground. <laughs> he needed to do everything that he could to make the people happy, to, to please these Jews and to maintain their loyalty towards him as a leader. Well, in those days, one way to win popularity real quick with the Jews was to fight against those hated Christians, <laughs> that sect that was destroying their religious ideas especially when it came to those apostles, those followers of Jesus Christ that were now going around saying he wasn't dead after all. That made you real popular indeed. So the Bible says about that time, about that time in Jerusalem when things had turned bad, the economy was down, people were struggling, there was great dirt, there was great famine. About that time, Herod the king it says here, he stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. He intentionally chose to reach out, to mistreat, to persecute those that belong to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church there in Jerusalem. It says in verse 2, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. I'm going to become real popular. <laughs> the way to do that, he's going to take his sword and he's going to kill James. He's going to take his life. James, the brother of John. The first of the apostles to suffer martyrdom for following the Lord Jesus Christ. The first of them to drink that cup as the Lord had told them that they would his is the only apostle's death that is actually recorded for us in the New Testament because he was the one that died even prior to the New Testament being completed. Herod was so pleased with the results that made him so popular because that he had reached out against the church and he had taken this man's life, one of the apostles themselves, he decided to go even further. It says in verse 3, and because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. You see, this had gone down so well that he decided he wanted to push it a bit further. It made him so popular because he had killed James. Now he wanted to take Peter. Why didn't he just reach out and kill Peter on the instant just like he had done with James? because it was the days of unleavened bread. There were the days of unleavened bread. It was the Passover time. It was a season when certainly Jerusalem was going to, to be filled with devout Jews and all of their celebrations. He wanted maximum effectiveness. 
It was a time when there'd be crowds like there wouldn't be at any other time. But notice it says in verse 4, and when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. He wanted to put on the show of his lifetime, and he wanted to do it when he had the most people there to see what was going on. But he didn't want to bring offense by doing anything that would undermine these people. So that's why he decided to lock him up in prison until Easter, the Passover, the celebrations were finished. It seemed like maybe uh, somebody must have remembered what had happened <laughs> the last time they tried to lock Peter away in prison when he had just been set free and nobody could figure out. I guess to them, they just thought he had escaped. Of course, they didn't know that it was the angel of the Lord that had come, that had been there, that had set him free. Four squads of four soldiers, 16 people to guard one guy. Now, I talk about maximum security. We have maximum security prison. Peter was put in maximum security. 16 guards to guard one guy because they didn't want the same thing happening again. <laughs> well, we'll see that this king, like so many that had gone before him, he has to learn the hard way, the folly, the foolishness of fighting against God and his people you see, each and every one of us today, we have a choice. Which side of this battle that we're going to be on? He would have done well to have heeded the warnings back in Acts chapter 5 and in verse 39. The Bible says, but if it be of God, ye cannot... Overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. Gamaliel, the great teacher of his day, he was the one that gave forth his advice. Hey, if it is against God, you cannot overthrow it. You don't want to fight against God. You're fighting a losing battle when you try to do so. We look back into the Old Testament to the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 21 and in verse 5, he says, And I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and with a strong arm, even in anger and in fury and in great wrath. Guess what? God fights back. You want to choose to fight against God as Gamaliel warned against? Jeremiah the prophet said, guess what? You'll have a fight on your hands because God will fight back when you go against him. You look into the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 2, in verse 16, in the message to the church at Pergamos, 
He said, repent or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. We find that we are in a battle. We can choose the sides. And you will today either fight on the Lord's side or you will fight against the Lord. Is that a battle that you want to be engaged in? What I want to remind you today, we sang about it earlier, victory in Jesus. You don't have to run and be afraid and hide as a Christian. Don't let the enemy deceive you. You don't have to be on the losing side. You can be on the winning side. You see, we find that as we look through this passage here in Acts, and this is certainly not all the reasons, but I want to give you three good reasons why you want to be fighting on the right side, why you do not want to be fighting against God, why you want to be on the winning side. The first one that we see here in verses, beginning in verse 5 of this passage is because of God's power. You see, when two battles, when two sides are coming against each other, ultimately the thing that comes into place is which side is most powerful? Who holds the most power that they can overtake the other one? But there's something else to keep in mind. As a soldier fighting in that battle on the field, what is one of the first things that the opposing side wants to do? They want to cut you off. They want to cut off your supply line. It doesn't matter if that other side has got more tanks and they've got more guns and they've got more bombs and they've got all these things. If they can cut you off from the power, then they can overtake you. Then they can defeat you. So on the one hand, who has the power? And on the other, who has access to that power that is there? Well, you see, I want you, you can think of just a couple and boy, the adjectives could really string out, but... The first reason is because of God's power. His unmatchable, prolific power. There is no power that we've read about already. There is no power in the universe to compare that will match the power that God holds. Prolific. I like that word. You know what prolific means? It means it's in abundance. It means it's plentiful. It means that it is inexhaustible. God's power, nothing will match it. It is so abundant, it is so plentiful, it is so inexhaustible, you don't want to be on the other side. But you see, what good will God's power, even if you did accept that his side holds the greatest power, what gives you access to that? Verse 5, Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. But, the passage you see on the screen before you, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Do you realize there was something in common with every passage that I read to you there this morning that had to do with fighting this battle of being armed, of standing against the enemy, and in every instance, prayer. You see, power can be obtained through prayer. The church, in knowing the solution to the problem, 
were beyond themselves. We find that they're there and they're praying without ceasing. The word there, without ceasing, carries with it the same meaning that James was talking about when he says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. They were pouring out their hearts to God. This wasn't just some kind of religious form that they were going through. It wasn't just some words to impress. They were praying to God from their hearts. We find that it's the same word that's used to describe Jesus when he was praying in the garden. Yes, when his sweat became as drops of blood. In other words, these people, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. The church is gathered together. They're praying these effectual, fervent prayers to God without ceasing for Peter. Peter's locked away in prison, but God's people have access to the power that can get Peter out of that prison. And the way that they get to it is through their prayers. The word is used in Scripture to describe three essentials in the Christian life. Notice, notice what James said in James Chapter 5 and verse 16, he says, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. May I say just in short, whether the problem is spiritual or whether the problem is physical, God's power is sufficient. God's power is enough, but the only way that power can be accessed is through prayer. You don't want to be on the wrong side. You want to be on the winning side because he's the one that holds the power. He is the one that will be the victor. But that power for you can be obtained through prayer. Notice what it says in verse 6 and 7. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept their prison. Here's Peter. He's been locked away down there. He's there in the prison with a guard asleep on both sides of him, bound with two chains to make sure that he can't get loose plus keepers on the door to make sure that he doesn't come out of that place. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him and a light shined in the prison and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. You see, a power that can be accessed through prayer, but a power that will release all the bonds that the enemy may be binding you with. Herod thought he had this situation well in hand, but he forgot the power that he was dealing with. It's important to notice the, the peace that Peter was experiencing there. Peter's there, but man, he's not all hyper, hyperventilating, all stressed out, saying, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this situation? 
asleep. <laughs> He's peaceful. He's locked away, chained up, guards all around him. What's he going to do? He's trusting in the Lord. <laughs> He's laying there at peace, sleeping restfully. When the angel of the Lord come, he had to actually wake him up. <laughs> he had to wake him up. I find that uh, says that uh, the angel of the Lord came upon him and a light shined and he smote Peter on the side. Peter, wake up. <laughs> Peter, get up from there. You see, that's the depth of this man's trust in the Lord. That's the depth of trust that you can have in the Lord today. A trust because of God's power. When you're on the right side of this battle, we're all in the battle. The question is, which side are you on? Because if you're on God's side, you have access to the power of God. There is no question of the supremacy of his power. It's there you, a power that can release any bonds that the enemy might have or try to place upon you, a bond that though it may have you bound down in the eyes of this world, <laughs> you could have peace in your heart, a peace that passeth all understanding, a peace that you can lie down in the midst of this horrible situation and just rest in the Lord. Does that make sense? No. A power that can overcome every obstacle in your life. Not only did he break Peter's bonds, notice what he goes on. It says, And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, bind on thy sandals. Peter, get your clothes on, get your shoes on. We're getting out of here. So he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him. Wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. In other words, Peter's locked away and he's there. And, you know, the angels come and woke him up and had him to get up and get his clothes on and get his shoes on and go out. And, you know, Peter thinks he's just dreaming about all this. <laughs> he didn't even realize it was all real to start with. It was just a vision, just a dream. When they were past the first and the second ward, <laughs> They came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them out of his own accord, and they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. In other words, the angel didn't come and wake Peter up and tell him to get his clothes on, to get dressed, get your shoes on, We're going out of here, and then leave him to his own. He went right with him every step of the way, past the first one, past the second ward to those gates and God just opened the gates before them and then they were outside, they were out of the prison, they were out in the streets. See, I just want you to realize you want to be on the right side of this battle and you can know that you're on the right side of this battle. And sometimes we look around and we can see, you know, just as Jerusalem was going through at that time, it might be hard times and, and things may be seemingly going all wrong and, and the enemy can be fighting like mad and here it may be seen popular to the leaders to, to come down on God's people and it might make them more popular, but you don't have to be afraid. That's not the battle. It's not this physical battle. It's not what we see going on. It's what we don't see. That's where the riddle battle is taking place. Who's battling for your soul? Who's battling for your eternity? You see, you can be on the right side. You want to be on God's side because of God's power. 
his unmatchable power, his prolific power. No prison has ever been built that is strong enough to hold one of God's people that he wants out of there. It's never been, and it never will. A power that can spoil the world's best laid plans. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of Jews who was responsible for what just happened. Peter knew with absolute certainty it was the power of God that had just been working on his behalf. It was God that had laid these plans. It was God that initiated this whole thing. A power that can astonish even those that know about it. <laughs> even those that have seen it, even those that have experienced it. That's what happens next. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house, Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Here they are. They're all inside the house. They're all in there praying. I mean, that's good. They knew the power of God. They were praying for Peter. <laughs> Peter comes knocking on the door, bang, bang, bang. This damsel rode and heard him. She knew it was Peter's voice. She knew that voice. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. Here he is knocking on the door. She gets so excited that instead of thinking about opening the door and letting him in, she goes running to tell everybody, guess who's here? Peter's here. Hmm. You see, it says, but they said unto her, thou art mad, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. You don't know what you're talking about. But she constantly affirmed that it, no, it's, it's true. I know it's true. It's there. He's there. Then said they, it's his angel. Well, if you thought you saw, it's not really Peter. Peter's angel. But Peter just kept on knocking, bless his heart. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Well, hang on. You were just praying effectual, fervent prayers, trusting God, praying that God would do something for Peter down there. Well, God done it, and then they were amazed. They were astonished. They knew God's power. They were trying to get through to that power. I'm saying that God's power is so overwhelming. It's there. It'll spoil the best laid plans of anybody in this world. It'll astonish even the Christians to see God at work and what he's doing power that can be accredited to God and brings encouragement to those that follow him. But he, Peter, beckoning to them with his hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go, show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Scripture only tells us that Peter departed and went into another place. We don't know where he went. Those who, I guess, some out there that believe that Peter was the first pope, <laughs> believe that's when he went to Rome to set up the Catholic Church. Kind of unlikely when we read again in chapter 15 that he's addressing Jerusalem after the death of this very king here. <laughs> but anyway... Peter slips from the records of the book of Acts at this point and the focus turns to the Apostle Paul. Here it is. 
God works this phenomenal, amazing thing. Peter tells the others, you go and tell everybody else what God has done, what a great God that he is. Peter himself, he didn't want the greatness for himself. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't because he was so super spiritual that he could get out of a situation that nobody else could. No, he gave God all the credit for it. It's a power that can only be accredited to God. A power that can be an encouragement to those that come along later. A power that disturbs the world and leaves them without explanation. Verse 18 and 19 now, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea, and there abode. <laughs> Some poor human never had a chance, couldn't do anything about it. They hadn't done anything wrong. They were on the wrong side. <laughs> They had no chance against the power of God. It upset the world. It astonished the Christians, but it upset and disturbed the world. He was willing to put others to death. What possible explanation could these guards have? They were responsible. They were supposed to be guarding this man. You see, there was no worldly explanation. They were being blamed for something that they never had a chance in the first place against. The, the world is always going to look for somebody to put the blame on. Somebody to explain why that this thing has gone wrong. There are only two sides in this war, and it rages on. I'm going to ask you this morning, and we'll come back to this, God willing, next week, but I'm going to ask you this morning, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? You see, the Lord says if you're not for him, you are against him. The Lord also says that if you aren't his, then you are of your father, the devil. There is no middle ground. One or the other is your father. One side or the other you're on. One side you're for, the other you're against. There is no neutral zone. There is no straddling the fence. Whose side are you on? There's only one winning side. The stakes are eternity. You don't want to be fighting on the wrong side. You don't want to be fighting against God. Because you're going to be fighting against a power that is unmatchable, that is prolific in every way, that is limitless beyond imagination. Christians, hallelujah, you can be on the winning side. You are on the winning side. But you know, there's another side to that as well. You know, one of the, I guess, least favored people in countries of the world today are those that would commit treason against their own nation. Those that though they are on one side, they aid the enemy. Sadly today, first thing you need to know is whose side you're on because more than anything in all the world, you're going to leave here today on one side or the other. Don't be fooled. Don't be deceived. Be on the winning side. 
Be on the right side. And if you're on that side, don't be guilty of treason. Don't be guilty of being on God's side and yet helping the enemy. Don't be out there, though that God is your father, doing things to assist Satan, doing things that would harm God's kingdom. You see, we need to know which side we're on. We need to be doing everything we can to fight for our side. Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, for these simple thoughts, this passage of Scripture that is just such a beautiful illustration of that power that you hold. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to recognize this morning that that power can be ours through prayer. Help us, Lord, to recognize and to realize that not only can we be absolutely certain and sure, Lord, many of the nations of this world, they strive to be that one which has the greatest power in its arsenal because they know that the evil of this world will try to overcome them if possible. So they have the buildest, they build the strongest arsenals, the greatest power in order to thwart that enemy, the evil. We know that Satan is the evil in the battle that we're talking about for the souls, for the battle that matters above all else. But there is one thing that is not in question, and that's your power. And that's the power that we have access to as your children. So help us today to have confidence in that. Help us to have the faith. Help us to fight on knowing that the victory is ours. Of course, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. 